Welcome to Season 2 of Positivity Strategist. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, in which we talk about seven literacies for living and leading in this century. I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel. And I'm Sally Lee. We're co-hosts of Season 2. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, Literacies for Living and Leading in This Century. And for 10 shows, that's what we'll be talking about. Hello there, Sally, my co-host extraordinaire. (laughs) Hi, Robin. And hello to all of you listening out there in podcast land. Thanks for joining us again. And welcome back. Welcome to all new listeners. We love you're with us. This season's podcast is all about our appreciative voice and choice, and we're offering seven new literacies for living and leading in our times. They might surprise you. These literacies lift up and strengthen our individual and collective voices and offer us new choices for conversations and meaningful connections. So far, we've introduced three literacies in the past three episodes, inviting inquiry, the curious voice, Reframing reality, the focusing voice, and kindling kindness, the compassionate voice. Today, our literacy on tap is powering the positive, the affirming voice, affirming our best, our gifts, our strengths, our positive intentions and visions, our dreams. What do you say, Robin? Ms. Positivity Strategist, I'm following your lead on this one. (laughs) You're too funny, Sally. Well, what do I say? I say powering the positive may be the most important literacy there is for our human survival. Without a positive view of the future, humankind is doomed. What? Now, yeah, that's a very positive statement to start this conversation on powering the positive, isn't it? So let's just simply reframe it to say that a positive view of the future may be the most powerful way for humankind to co-create a positive future. It's the images of the future that shape present decisions. Now, that's a pretty succinct, neutral way of expressing this. And that's a quote from Jens Beckett, uh, a professor of sociology at the University of Cologne. So what do we want those images of the future to be? And how do we frame them? Well, I don't think I want them to be neutral. So what do you want them to be? Let's see. Our disciplines... The disciplines that you and I have studied and practiced, Robin, meaning the methods and approaches we've used in our work in human and organizational development, and we've used them in our lives, those being, let's see, appreciative inquiry, positive psychology, and strength-based approaches as they come together. They teach us that our highest potential is achieved more easily and gracefully, I think, when guided by the following – that first, we believe positive images lead to positive actions. Okay, that sounds like the quote you just gave us. Hmm. And um, second, that we recognize well-being and flourishing as our rightful states. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting concept that's worth a a conversation. Hmm. And third, we consciously create environments that facilitate strengthening of existing talents and attributes. That about covers it. Yeah, and those three things that you just came up, Sally, are kind of the disciplines that really inform our work and who we are in the world too. 
So um, perhaps we could say that the redirection of attention and investment into what works well and the images we hold of positive futures redress the long-held paradigm of having to look backwards to fix things. And usually, traditionally, when we've looked backwards, we look at weaknesses and deficits and we consider those as the most effective way to solve problems and fix human pain and suffering. That's really true, isn't it, Robin? I mean, it's it's true that that's what we usually do. We look at what's wrong and our deficits. Yeah. Well, that's the classic, you know, that's the classic management approach and it's the classic psychological approach. Well, was anyway. And, You're right. you know, happily we're shifting. So, you know, yes, it's true. We can look back and find weaknesses and pain and we can look back and find our stories of strengths and success and joy, joyful moments in our life. So that frame of what's worked in the past can also solve problems and help address pain and suffering. So it comes down to what we've been talking about, Sally, in past episodes and what we're going to continue to talk about, and that is um, what we choose to focus on gets amplified. That's where we put our attention, right? That's right. So... Um, You know, it's related to what we talked about, particularly in the reframing um, episode that we did recently. Now, with these newer approaches, we can not only solve problems by focusing on a positive perspective in the short term, but also we're more likely to improve the overall health and well-being of ourselves, our families, our institutions, our organisations and our planet in the long term. So I just have, I've had this quote forever and I love it. And it's by a historian, an activist and a professor, Howard Zinn, and he died um, in 2010. He wrote an article some time ago called The Optimism of Uncertainty. And I just want to quote from that because I think it, it's, it speaks to, you know, what we're talking about here, Sally. So here's the quote. Human history is a history not only of cruelty but also of compassion sacrifice, courage, kindness. What we choose to emphasise in this complex history will determine our lives. If we only see the worst, it destroys our capacity to do something. If we remember those times and places, and there are so many, where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us the energy to act and at least the possibility of spending, oh, not spending, but sending this spinning top of a world into a different direction. That's such a great quote. And I love stories of magnificent behavior. When he talked about magnificent behavior, I think that's such a great statement. So what does this quote from Zen tell us? It tells us to find the good, the true, the beauty in ourselves, each other and the rest of the world, and to bring life to those attributes. That's powering the positive in a nutshell. That's the literacy we're talking about today. And it resonates with our theme of the last episode, Kindling Kindness, where we look for compassion and kindness in ourselves and for our connections to others instead of disconnects, instead of going for those what disconnects us. Mm, Yeah, they're so intertwined. I mean, compassion and kindness... Um, really does fit into powering up the positive. I agree, Sally. In fact, disconnecting or what disconnects us seems to be the much more popular theme. But some of our most revered 
leaders of recent times who we remember and quote gave lots of evidence for the power of holding images of a positive future. They looked at connection. For instance, think of Martin Luther King and his vision. Robin, who else? Yes, um, well, he always comes to mind, Sally, um, for me. And then, of course, Nelson Mandela. I mean, thinking about his history and what a vision he had for his country, South Africa. And I think of the beautiful poetry and work and literature and influence of um, Maya Angelou. And, of course, Viktor Frankl, who was interned and who had a positive image of the future during his terrible times in concentration camps. And, of course, then there's Howard Zinn, who we just quoted. And there are many, many others. There are people that you know, Sally, who've held and shared a bold visions of a positive future. And I'm sure, you know, all of us, um, we have people who surround us every day who do hold a positive image for our future and their own. For example, you know, our parents play do that for us. We're very fortunate when they do, and our teachers and friends and partners, leaders um, in our organisations. So these people who hold positive images of their own future and others' future, they are the ones who hold the promise and give us the hope that we can dream together. I think it's very powerful to reflect on, you know, some of those historical inspiring figures. I think you're right. Along with images of positive futures, Powering the Positive encompasses a massive body of interrelated disciplines and crosses all contexts, from nurturing a newborn and raising children to shaping society's mores and cultures, determining which forms of government rise and fall. That's all based on the visions we hold and the conversations we have about them. Moves mountains. I like going back to the work of Fred Pollack, the Dutch sociologist, who noted that the images a civilization or culture holds of itself has an enormous influence on its fate. Collective images of our families, our organizations, nations, and our world, if they're positive and flourishing, will grow toward those positive images of the future. And if they're dark and look at what a terrible condition we're in, we'll move in that direction as well. Absolutely, Sally. So just as you've said, you know, from nurturing newborns to thinking about the rise and fall of cultures, this is such a huge topic. And in the last 20 years, it's increased exponentially, drawing together from different disciplines and birthing new ones in our human sciences, you know, such as positive psychology is really a new discipline. Um, and then in medical sciences, we have the, the expansion of neuroscience. And so this growth of neuroscience, for example, since the end of the last century, has wowed us into all kinds of wondrous realizations and possibilities about what we're capable of. You know, our plastic, malleable brains that at birth have a few neurons connected, yet by adulthood, they have wired and rewired and can't continue to do so throughout our lives. What we think and do and how we feed our brains changes us. As a species, our brains are highly adaptive. And that makes me think, if we have all that available to us, how might we use it 
to elevate this literacy of powering the positive and help us more confidently speak into the microphone of life with our appreciative voice. How do we connect this with appreciative voice and choice? The best news is that positivity can be learned and we'll talk more about that as we move through this show. But we can learn our ways into strengthening the positive within ourselves to train our eyes and ears and voices to find the good and amplify it. Marty Seligman, considered the father of positive psychology, asked his colleagues around 2000 if there could be a psychological science that's about the best things in life. And he continued to ask, can parents and teachers use this science to raise strong, resilient children ready to take their place in the world in which more opportunities for fulfilment are available? And he asked, can adults teach themselves better ways to happiness and fulfilment? Those were such amazing questions, Robin, at that time when so many others weren't thinking that way. Yeah, Sally, and you know, we both know that there's been such a growth in the field of positive psychology, positive scholarship, positive leadership, organization development, and more. There are thousands of courses in this field today at higher level institutions and online. And in fact, um, including my own training site, which is positivechange.training, I actually have a course called <laughs> Positivity is Your Power. And I'll put a link to it, to it on the show notes page. That's why you're the positivity strategist, Robin, because you really you really resonate with this and it really flows through you. It's a great um, it's a great resource for those of you who want to check it out. Thanks, Sally. So that's yeah. So what about you? I mean, what energizes you about this literacy of powering the positive? In my own life, I know that things go better when I tap my capacity to focus on and move toward positive options. The more positive my thoughts, emotions, language, the healthier I am. I've trained myself over the years to look at what's working, what strengths I can call on, what resources are available to me. And that's very inspiring. I feel so lucky to have discovered powering the positive and to have been able to study it. Like everybody else everywhere, I have lots of challenges to deal with and work through. You know, my life is normal. Um, and I often go down the spiraling negative chute of all the issues I need to take care of. But after a short time for dealing with the emotions that rise up when something goes wrong. So here's an example, like the car radiator hose bursting, as it did recently on a busy day. <laughs> and I, you know, of course, went down the spiral of, oh my goodness, I'm so busy and I can't do this. And why did this happen? And this is so terrible and life is never going to work out again. That was a few minutes. But then I shift my perspective. And I did at that moment to remembering that I have great mechanics who know my car and they're available to me with a phone call, that my vintage car has been incredibly reliable for years, and that I know how to shift my schedule to accommodate a blip like this. So then the world writes itself. The more I can look at the strengths, the resources, and what's working around me and what's worked and worked well in the past, the better things go and the faster blips get resolved. That's what I love about powering the positive. I'm not making light of or glossing over the ongoing challenges that we have in our lives, long-term illnesses in a family, financial stress, tensions in the workplace, you know, those are all pretty common examples that we deal with. But I've found that remembering to focus 
on positive possibilities and to use my voice to move myself and others in that direction has been life-giving and life-saving. I really love it. That's what the appreciative inquiry principles tell us if we go back to them, which we've been kind of touching on in these episodes. The anticipatory principle that tells us positive image brings positive action and the simultaneity principle We go in the direction of what we think and talk about. And of course, the positive principle, the more positive our frame and our inquiry, the more positive the outcomes and the more energy we'll have for them. So that's something I keep trying to go back to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great, Sally. Good examples. And yes, that's very typical of many of our days, right? And thanks for bringing up and reminding us of um, those particular principles that underpin this particular literacy. Um, It's good to be reminded of that. That's right, Robin. That's what stands out for me in Powering the Positive is that ability to reframe and look for the positive in my daily life. For you, what stands out for you? What really gives you the most oomph uh, from this particular literacy? Hmm. Yeah, we're talking about strength, Sally. Um, I think just simply knowing, accepting and embracing my strengths enables me to do the work that I do with greater confidence. And it wasn't always like that, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) We all have memories like that. (laughs) I know. Um, Because I was a misfit in many of the jobs that I was in until I kind of matured a lot and, and you know, did some work on myself. But anyway... Um, given that I wasn't always happy in the jobs that I had or even in the relationships that I fostered. So I'll give you a specific story. (laughs) Some time ago, I led a team of 12 training consultants and this was in a leading global professional services firm. And one day my boss called me in and he was a little frustrated that I wasn't managing my team as tightly as he wanted me to. He thought I needed to be more directive in my management style. He handed me a marker pen and he pointed to the huge whiteboard that hung on the wall in his lovely corner office and asked me to draw my organisational chart and reporting structure. He wanted to understand more about my management style. So I was a little surprised at his question, but without hesitation, I drew a circle and I, a circle, and I placed myself in between the center of the circle and at the edge of the circle. And then I kind of thought about it, and then I consciously placed my various team members within the circle as I perceived them to be in relationship to each other and to me. And I placed him, my boss, right at the circle's edge. I mean, he was almost outside the circle. Now, I actually believed him to be a temperate man, he was an ex pastor. But as I drew my organisational chart, Sally, I felt him bristling at my side and I looked at him and he was red in the face and he spoke to me with a very tense jaw and in a very restrained tone and he said, no wonder you're having trouble managing. He took the marker pen from my hand and he aggressively drew one of those traditional organisational tree structures. You know, um, he was at the top of the tree in a box with a vertical line down to me in a box. And going down further beneath him and then beneath me, there were vertical lines to all the 12 consultants. But they weren't in boxes. (laughs) They were just hanging loose on the edge. (laughs) 
Do you get the picture? I do, I do. And I, yeah. unfortunately, it's making me break out into a sweat. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I mean, I was just intuiting this, Sally. I had no idea about networks or, you know, um, participatory management, although I did know about participatory management styles because that was the thing that I focused on. So, you know, I, I attempted to explain a little bit about my philosophy and the practice behind my chart, but he wasn't listening. He had this very traditional view of what an organisational structure should be. This experience helped me to realise that I just didn't fit and that my natural talents and strengths after five years of service could be better you, you, you know, used elsewhere in another organisation. And I also came to the conclusion that I had the potential to flourish in a, in a different way. So I so appreciate my strengths now. I won't go into what they are, but they do inform me and guide my choices and they give me great insights into intuiting the sense of others' strengths. You know, it's like, you know, when you know yourself, you can begin to know others. Yes. And I encourage everyone now to go and, and check into what their strengths are and to begin to work with them. And we'll put some links on the show notes, you know, whether it's to the VIA Strengths Survey, the Character Strengths, or whether it's to the Strengths Finder that's put out by Gallup. Um, so both of these are really valuable instruments for people to invest in and um, learn more about themselves and they begin to work to their strengths and enjoy much more what they do. Great resources. Besides what you've learned um, from working on your own strengths, let's talk for a minute just in general to offer some ideas and thoughts about integrating strengths and acknowledging strengths. One of the things is that recognize, we need to recognize that strengths are part of the positive core of any person, family, or organization. There are strengths everywhere. We are a universe of strengths, as David Cooper Ryder has said. When we pay attention to and concentrate on strengths, the strengths of self, the strengths of all, the systems we're operating in, the potential partners, the conversations – this shifts things for us and shifts the way we approach situations. It also includes, and this is one of my favorite things to do and to do with clients, has been to not only focus on what, have your, what are your strengths that, you know, kind of pervade an organization, but also looking at the places of positive deviation and positive exceptions mm -hmm. and being such a good way to turn a group or individual toward their strengths, or really to recognize new strengths. Mm. You know, I've loved the what this has taught me over the years of, especially when working with a large organization and they say, blah, 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 this isn't working over here and this isn't working over there. And I say to them, is there any place that it is working? <laughs> and they, many times they say, well, yes, over there in that, you know, that office in, you know, X town. It's working really, really well. And I said, well, let's go look at it and let's look at what their strengths are. Wonderful. That's so, a great inviting inquiry question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so by knowing and focusing, knowing that strengths is such a huge capacity builder, we can be more attuned to looking for them in ourselves and with others. So in summary, then, among the benefits of knowing our strengths are finding more flow and meaning in our work, 
increased productivity because we're energized rather than drained. And we're also better at doing what we're doing because we've acknowledged what our strengths are and improved relationships because we know ourselves a little bit better. Hmm. Sally, that great summary that you've just come up with reminds me of a beautiful quote that David Cooper writer, something he said at the opening of one of the global appreciative inquiry conferences, and this one was in Orlando, um, can't remember the year, 2007 maybe. Were you there by any chance? I was there. I was just, oh. just going to say, yes, I was at that conference. And in fact, I think, Robin, we met at that conference. Oh, briefly. fantastic. Briefly. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. Oh, thank you for reminding me of that, Sally. He opened with this quote, so you'll remember, and he said, what if strengths connected to strengths not only performed but helped us transform. Mm. That's just stuck with me. I think I got the quote right. That sounds right. <laughs> Good. So, um, so yes, yeah, strengths is definitely one of the major components of powering the positive, recognising, learning to, identifying, working with our strengths and facilitating the, the development and bringing out the strengths of others. But there's another very compelling piece for me about powering the positive and that comes from Barbara Fredrickson's work on positivity. And I feel so connected to the findings coming from her research about how positive emotions change us at the cellular level, impacting our biochemistry. And her research, which is popularised in two books, uh, Positivity and the second book is Love 2.0, They're both easy reads and give us the basics to understand the role of emotions and how both positive and negative emotions impact us and support us. We need both. And that's, you know, that's that's a really important piece to remember. So the findings of her research and her take on elevating the positive go far beyond the superficial smiley face, have a nice day and just positive thinking to a whole system of positivity, and that's the groundbreaking work. So with the term positivity, she defines it loosely as a system, and in that is included positive emotions and hopeful and optimistic attitudes. And with those, we begin to, if we develop those, we are able to change ourselves physically, psychologically, and spiritually, and helping us to reflect on who we are and how we relate and what we think and do. So this is such important work. I agree with you. It's, um, and, and you've encapsulated it really well there. Yeah. So, so just um, I just want to give you a funny quote that does highlight the difference between negative and positive emotions. And it actually comes from Rick Hansen. You know, he's a wonderful thought leader, um, a spiritual teacher and really into happiness and positivity. And the book I'm referring to, one of them is called Hardwiring Happiness, which is the new science of contentment, calm and confidence. And this is the quote, which I, I find funny. And he says, to help our ancestors survive, the brain evolved a negativity bias that makes it like Velcro for bad experiences but Teflon for good ones. <laughs> that sums it up pretty well. I think <laughs> we've all found that in ourselves, that negative 
thoughts and occurrences stick and that good ones just sort of roll off at times. So mm. powering the positive does uplift over time our appreciative voice in a myriad of ways. You know, it helps us with that um, deficit bias. It shows up in our thinking and behaviors and uh, therefore impacts our conversations and our relationships. Fredrickson's broad and build theory states that positive emotions broaden people's modes of thinking and action, which over time builds their enduring personal and social resources. That's a quote from her. Her findings document that when people feel positive emotions, there's an opening up versus a shutting down effect. The broadening effect of positive emotions describes cognitive, emotional, and physiological changes we experience when positive emotions are aroused. So what does this look like in our thinking and our actions? So that's a wonderful theoretical statement. What does that look like? How does that show up? So Sally, that also brings up for me that um, part of this is um, expanding us to simply just focusing on me, you know, you begin to appreciate others and think more about we. And we can begin to experience this beautiful sense of self-other overlap. We are connected. And this is what Fredrickson calls these micro moments of love or connection. And if there's been cortisol cursing through your body, you know, the stress hormone, it shifts to start to release and increase the oxytocin, that love hormone, or the great facilitator of life, as it's been called. I love that moniker of calling it the great facilitator of life. We all need great facilitators of life. <laughs> this points to positive emotions contributing to our ability to bounce back from stress more rapidly and maybe building our resiliency and um, that can transform us for the better. So Positive emotions can help us build a wall that keeps out stress. Ah. So, you know, what, what it means is that we have this building effect. Um, we talked about the broadening or you talked about the broadening a little earlier. So there's also the building effect which comes from strengthening our positive emotions and that's the accumulation of positivity over time. And the research indicates there's a ratio of three to one which is the tipping point for building our positive emotional reserves. So if you can think at a minimum or talk or behave or do something three times positive to one time negative, then you're actually on the way to building your emotional resilience that will help you flourish instead of languish. That three to one ratio has been so important to me ever since I first heard it. In fact, when Barbara Fredrickson was speaking at that uh, Florida conference. Mm -hmm. I believe that was when it was when I first mm -hmm. heard about the three to one ratio. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's mind bending to think, seriously, I need to be three to one positive. And then the next thing, seriously, I'm not doing at least three to one positive to negative in my thoughts. And you start discovering how negatively and how deficit based your thinking can be mm -hmm. and begin uh, working on it. So a key finding, if I remember correctly, is that this three to one ratio, this building effect helps us recover from negativity, stress or life threatening situations more quickly. It has an undo effect, like pushing an undo button, the undo button, which means that when faced with adversity, those who have greater positivity reserves. So we actually can build up mm -hmm. 
um, those levels of positivity and store them. Um, so positivity reserves or resiliency, we're able to move on with greater ease. Physiologically speaking, heart rates recover far more quickly, which is much healthier in the short and long term. So this has a real impact on our mm. lives. And I think also, Sally, just it, it just reinforces that positivity can be learned. I mean, we have to learn it. If we have to kind of consciously work on three to one ratio, we've got to learn the, in, ourselves into this way of being. Yes. And research findings like these make me think that, you know, I want to get even better at dailifying my ability to power the positive. Dailification, as we've been talking about this season, is about when we become and how we become more agile in these literacies and more able to express them and bring them into our appreciative voice and choice on a daily basis. So we've offered ways to do that, simple ways. You know, there are many more and there are many that you could tell us about. But what about what about powering the positive and the, what we've heard so far today? Robin, what do you suggest for dailifying? I've got two thoughts here, Sally. And so when it does come to amplifying our appreciative voice and dailifying the positive, um, there are two positive states, I think, that can help us. And they're one... One is perhaps more personal and the other, I think, is kind of more, um, you know, can you expand it into different contexts? So the first one is inspiration and the second one I'm thinking about is hope. So let's start with inspiration. And I love this because it allows for so many inputs that can elevate and expand our awareness of what actually inspires us. You know, when you seek out your inspiring moments, it's... It, it can become a habit and it's worth cultivating. Yeah, I think that's right. You can start to build your own repertoire of inspiration and pull out these inspiring, whether it's a picture or a poem or a piece of music or an activity, and whenever you need them, they can help you lift yourself out of whatever it is that you're experiencing to be in a more inspired state. Because, you know, you referred to it earlier in your story, but just as there are downward spirals that, negativity can induce and they send us spiraling downwards into ruminations and they can be de-energizing. There are also upward spirals of positivity that can elevate our mood and our sense of personal efficacy and we can consciously cultivate those. So let me share a couple of my favorite ways of being inspired. Um, most definitely being outdoors in nature. That's a biggie for me. That's ever, a that's a big one for me as well. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people I've spoken to, it's it's the same. We need nature. We we need the green, we need the trees, and we need the sky. Um so being outdoors is is a way to lift ourselves up and feel more inspired. A second thought that I have is find out or learn how others have overcome challenges and sorrows. And there are so many resources that we have through the web these days. You know, you can listen to podcasts or watch TED Talks and read books. So, you know, just be inspired by others who've um, overcome challenges. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. I have to say I'm a big reader and I love to both be inspired by what others have gone through. So those sorts of biographies and stories of interesting lives. But I also love reading novels, because reading stories of, even if they're invented stories, uh, show me so much and they do lift me and inspire me. Mm, yeah. 
And another one, and, and you know, we're talking here about deification practices. So another one um, that I find lifts my spirit is when I watch people perform at their best. <laughs> oh, yes. And, you know, this is athletes, actors, kids, you know, just seeing the energy and the excitement that people have and the the intrinsic sense of self-worth that comes when you know that you're performing at your best. Um, that's truly inspiring. You're right about that. Seeing people at their very best is inspiring and uplifting, you know. Inspiration makes you want to do good because you're inspired by something outside of yourself that touches your heart. It takes you out of your own self-centeredness and grows your positivity and resilience. It grows your emotional bank account. For example, if you get depressed by watching negative news, make a choice not to watch it. If there are people in your life who complain and are negative and pull you down, it's time to strategize how you can counteract their influence by finding other sources of inspiration or getting them involved in finding their sources of inspiration. Maybe that would help. Sally, these are great suggestions for helping us to find practices to increase our inspiration on a daily basis. So there are a couple more that perhaps um, we can also talk about. For example, being open to it. Go, go look for it. And when you find it, savour those moments and feel that surge of warm positivity th- flowing through your body. And notice how you're touched and how your heart opens. You can also, you know, cultivate from your own strengths and talents, things that you think inspire others. Really consider this. What do your strengths and talents offer that are, it might be inspirational? Hmm. And so I think also setting an intentional goal to inspire others is a great way to find the sources that will inspire you. I'm, I'm willing to admit that I want to be a source of inspiration to others through the work that I do, the stories that I tell, that connect to others. And I actually include the podcast in this because I get that feedback and I'm hugely grateful for that. So increasingly I feel quite humbled by being told that I'm a source of inspiration and I'm uplifted because I know that together we're strengthening our community. That's a great way to look at it. I, and I love hearing stories of inspiration. Sharing our own stories helps us experience our common humanity and we learn from them. We learn from others. When we inquire and other people inquire into their stories and listen, we find sources of connection that breathe life into us. They inspire us to think differently and to act more courageously. So really stories run the world in that sense. They help us discover the sources of inspiration that keep us going. And speaking of keeping going, I wanted us to move on because you talked about inspiration and hope as ways to elevate our appreciative voice. Um, Let's move on to hope and talk a little bit about that. Hope is one of the eight positive emotional states uh, identified by Fredrickson, by Barbara Fredrickson. The other seven are gratitude, serenity, interest, pride, amusement, inspiration, and awe, so inspiration again. It's hope that powers you when things have taken a turn for the worse. Yeah, um, hope's another one of those beautiful positive emotional states. And it, it's hope that actually and ultimately lifts us to see other possibilities exist. 
You know, we acknowledge things can change. We know things change. And it's hope that allows us to imagine a different future. Without hope, we can be frozen into powerlessness. And hope is a yearning for something better, an anticipation that something will be different tomorrow. Nicely said. And um, Sally, I know we're both inspired by the beautiful book of Jeannie Coquel and Joan Blair MacArthur, and that book is Building Resilience with Appreciative Inquiry, A Leadership Journey Through Hope, Despair and Forgiveness. And they offer their findings into how hope is such a positive force in strengthening resilience, um, particularly in, you know, for leaders who are leading organisations, but for everybody. And there's so much to reference in their book about positivity, hope and resilience. And, and I'm going to, I'd just like to give one quote because it's, Very powerful. And so here I'm quoting from their book. Hope is a positive emotion that people are easily drawn to, exploring it through telling stories and sharing ideas. Hope is a generative force in the workplace because through examining hope and a hopeful view, people open up to each other, to thinking in a broader way, to solving problems and to coming up with new solutions. Bottom line... Hope generates positive emotions and energy. That's, a, that's wonderful. So what about, what are some possible dailyfying, dailyfication ideas for hope? What gives hope? Well, I think it starts with a belief. A belief that whatever the hardship of the past and the present may be, we still have a life ahead of us. That's hope. A belief that you will grow or we will grow from the adversity. And it's that, you know, that expression of when you believe it, you'll see it. So one of the things that you might be able to do if you're looking to increase your sense of hope is to make an inventory of your skills, your talents and your strengths. Sometimes that really helps us to turn a corner. Yes. And um, Sally, another one is, you know, using particularly the appreciative inquiry framework it helps to remember or recall a time in the past where we have overcome difficulties and that empowers us to think about what, what we can do more of into the future and, and right now and into the future. And I think as well, uh, in addition to how you've overcome difficulties, to think about if you've lost your dream or something has really not worked the way you wanted it to, to set some new goals and be bold to imagine a new vision or dream for yourself. I think that's a way of reinstating hope. Mm, Yes. And another important one that we can suggest is invest in connecting with the people and the resources that inspire you. And so this is a source of hope and one of the things that powers the positive. So we invite you to think about you know, how good are you at this literacy? At li- the literacy of powering the positive. There's, and we just looked at two ways of doing it, inspiration and hope. And there are so many more methods and techniques, so many ways to become more literate. So this is just a something we do every with every podcast, with every episode. And that's that we remind you that On our show notes, we have a continuum there, and we'll have one there for powering the positive. It's uh, to consider where you see yourself on the continuum for that literacy. 
In other words, do you think you're just starting or this idea of powering the positive and flipping from the deficit to a more empowering way of looking at the world that you're very new at it and you need a lot of practice so you'd be closer to the left side, closer to the one? Or are you closer to the 10 in that you've been running your life this way for a long time and you have so many ways of accessing it and empowering it? So then you'd be closer to a 10. So we'd love for you to go on to um, to visit our show notes, and that's appreciativevoice.com, and see where you place yourself on our continuum. Think about, how good am I at powering the positive in the moment? And of course, we'd love to hear, hear from you all and to, for you to share your experiences with us. And you can do that in a number of ways. Um, Sally's already referred to going to the show notes page. But we'd love you to come and let us know how things, how, how what we're doing here is impacting you. So just go to appreciativevoice.com. Next time on Appreciative Voice and Choice, we'll focus on the literacy of welcoming wholeness. That's the power of invitation and of belonging. It's the embracing voice. We're living in a world where we can't just push away or shut out certain sectors. We all belong. And we're learning to work with that. That's next time on Appreciative Voice and Choice. Mm, Yeah. And so just a reminder that when you're speaking into that microphone of life, remember that positive affect is contagious. Not only do you feel good, but others also feel good. The affirming voice infuses your choice of words, thoughts and actions. And the benefits are not only in the moment, but can last a lifetime. So what positive images are you projecting onto the screen of life? Remember, it's always your choice to find and express your appreciative voice. Thanks so much, Robin. And my thanks to you, Sally, for a great conversation today. 